haciendo esta transmisión de música non-stop para tener a nada más y nada menos que a Robert Smith on the air. Hi, Robert Smith. Are you there? Hello, Pope Spinzi. Hi. I'm just in time to save everyone from some awful wolf rock music by the sound of what I just heard. Anyway, <laughs> hello, yes, hello. Hello, hello, Robert Smith. Oh, my God. How are you, man? Uh, yeah, I'm okay. Thank you. Sorry about yesterday, but I got, got caught up in... Um, Some family stuff, and I was unable to get away from it. So uh, my apologies. So there they are. Well, that yeah. happens, you know. Like yeah. Forrest Gump said, um, "Shit happens." Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and where are you right now? Uh, I'm at home for the first time in about two weeks. I've actually managed to m get myself a night at home. Uh, and, okay. Uh, so, <laughs> so it feels wonderful to be at home talking to you. Okay, um, there are a lot of people that are um, listening to, to Urbana because in, of, of a lot of places like Mexico, Peru, Argentina, Brazil, um, United States, and they, are all, they were all waiting for you, so um, this will be like an international interview. All right. <laughs> I'll bear it in mind then, I should moderate my language accordingly. I thought it was just me and you chatting. Oh, it will be that way. Yeah, and, that's, and that's how I like to think of it. It will make me feel more relaxed. Okay, okay, I'll, I'll be yeah. relaxed too because you know I, I have like a thrill of emotion right now. Um, um Robert Smith here. I, I want to introduce you to to my partner, my colleague, um, Annabelle, which she's going to take part of the, um of the interview in one moment too. Okay, okay. Annabelle. Annabelle. Hello, Robert. Annabelle. Nice to Hello, talk Annabelle. to you. How are you? It's so nice to talk to you. Finally. Yeah, and you as well. Thank you. So, so we, can, can we start it, okay? Please, yeah. Okay. Robert Smith, did it ever happen to you that in um, three hours show, you started mixing up lyrics like, show me, show me, show me, how can I miss you, I miss you, I miss you? Well, you see, in the old days, I could have answered that and said, how dare you? Of course I don't. But nowadays, because of the bleeding internet and space tube and everything, uh, I have to confess that I do occasionally... Uh, extemporize, that's how I'd like to, to put it. Uh, it's not uh, it, it's not forgetting, it's uh, more spur of the moment making up stuff. But uh. I'm, I'm much better than I used to be. I, I, uh, I drink much less on stage than I used to, uh, which, <laughs> and as a consequence, I remember a lot more. In fact, I remember whilst I'm on stage, and I remember what I've been doing when I come off as well. You know that the garbage people also told us um, that that they were like with the, all this year of experience they were like better and they feel like more um, this free this strange freedom that they didn't feel when they were younger. Yeah, I think it's true. The, the uh, I think particularly with us because of last year we played a lot of summer festivals last year, and it was the first time in a long, long time that that probably maybe even ever that we played really big shows without kind of promoting anything other than just the fact that we were there on stage playing music. And it's pretty much the same when we come to, to um, South America this time. It's just, I, I loved last summer. I really enjoyed myself on stage. You know, it was, it was just good fun. And, I, and it's almost like we've gone right back to the beginning with the idea that we're just out there playing and you either like it or you don't. And it, it, it's, it, it, that does give you a certain amount of freedom. But I also understand that The idea that the longer you've been doing it, you just you do kind of feel more comfortable. Although, although if there is a danger, I think of, of becoming too comfortable, kind of pretending that you know oh, exactly okay. how it's going to feel, and that is something that I'm always aware of. I, I, I try and and put myself mentally in a place that 
before we go on, just before we go on, that I think this this is it. This is like this is the first and the last show that I'll ever do. This is all that matters, and and the whole group tries to do that every time we play, wherever it is, you know, at any time in in our history. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but um, I always try and do that. The philosophy of today and now. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, I gotta tell you that a school teacher made me listen to The Cure when I was um, reading The Outsider of Albert Camus. And he made and you. <laughs> he, ma he made me, yeah, because I, well, I invited you. <laughs> yeah, he made me because I was like 12 years, so it was like um, 20 years yeah. ago. And, and um and I started in, in by listening to Killing an Arab, and he told me that there was a story behind and about, about this Killing an Arab song, and mm. I wanted to Robert Smith tell it to me. Well, for me, it happened the other way around. I was um I was studying French at school, uh, primarily because I I had an older brother who had read me um, various extracts from French literature. Mm -hmm. um, and he had, was reading it in French, and I wanted to. I wanted to read it. And he was always say, you know, a translated piece is never as good as the original. And a lot of the, the stuff he's reading, like it sounds terribly pretentious, but at a young age, I was really intrigued by Sartre and Camus. I just liked that idea of like alienation, and I felt a, a kind of these were kindred spirits. I had no idea who they were or anything about them, and so I decided I would learn French and. Um, That went through through with me, and I learned French all through school, and, and was to the point where I was able to read all these people and the poets, you know, and Rambo and and Verlaine and Baudelaire in in their language. And I realised um, a strange kind of opening moment happened that I, when I was in my early teens. That language it wasn't about English. Language was like this this thing that everybody had, and it was like used in different ways. And It, as part of that, I just came across L'Etranger, the book which is translated as The Outsider in English, mm -hmm. although which at the time weird. it was translated as The Stranger, which was wrong, um, mm -hmm. I think. Uh, and just the story, a very short story about uh, someone who um, attends their mother's funeral and uh, isn't showing the right kind of emotions, doesn't feel the right kind of thing, doesn't know why he isn't feeling the right kind of thing, gets caught up in an altercation with some locals. It's set in Algeria, yeah. in mm -hmm. like northern Africa, just to, just to the south of France. And at the time, uh, um, in fact, still, there's a lot of tension between France and Algeria, and it was really that tension between the Western world and, and, and okay. the African continent. It was kind of like the us and them thing was there. And he get, gets caught up in alterca an altercation and ends up, without giving the game away, uh, killing an Arab. And doesn't really feel, again, he doesn't feel like he thinks he should feel, and then he gets put in prison and various other things. I won't spoil the ending, but the book's about how... Books about many things actually. It's like, a, and, and that's probably what resonated with me. But primarily at that age, I, I was touched. I think by the idea that there, here was someone who wasn't feeling what they thought they were supposed to feel, and and that was me. I, I wasn't feeling the, the things that I thought I should be feeling at at that time. And it made me realise that you know other people feel this not feeling right feeling too. And that, and you know I think from that point. Although the song, I think, was kind of glib. This, what I did with it was kind of glib. It was a bit obvious, you know, the, the, the thing and everything about it was a bit sort of, you know. But I was about 15 when I first wrote it, so I forgive myself. But it was a good a good attempt, I think, at the time, to try to put something literary in, into a kind of a post-punk song. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's okay. It, it did my head in for a little while, because for a few years, people just picked up on the title, and it was like, killing an Arab this, killing an Arab that. Oh, you're, you know... 
we had to go against uh, up against quite a few um, sort of skinheads used to arrive at our concerts and kind of say, you know, play killing an Arab, we want to kill some Arabs and all that. You know, yeah. And I know I'd have to stand there and explain to these sort of like sort of monkeys that um, <laughs> that you know we're talking French existentialism. Please be quiet. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Seems a long time ago now, but we still, yeah, we'll probably play it when we come over. It's like, it's still, it's great fun to play. And Are you going to play the... that in Paraguay, in the tour in Paraguay? I think we almost certainly will now I've talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> I've been, I've, over the last few years, I have been singing Killing Another, because I, in fact, for quite a while, I kind of mix it up. Sometimes I sing Killing Another, sometimes Killing Another, because I wanted to make the point, and still want to make the point that it, it's essentially it isn't really about Arabs it's, it's nothing, it just happens that the, like Algerian you know, the indigenous Algerian people are, are notionally Arabic and so um, if, if it had been set in Iceland it would have been called you know, Killing an Icelander so it would have been the same song, well it wouldn't actually it would have been very different but, uh, but the message, the lyrical message is the same it was really about the, the value of human life and how that, that he just doesn't feel that anybody else's life has value but his own which is essentially like one of the, the things at the core of the book, which is that you know feeling of like isolation and and um, just disengagement and and all the things I think that thinking teenagers go through. What what's kind of tritely called teenage angst. I think it, you know it's dismissed with a wave of the hand, but I mean it's it's, it's kind of fundamental to to a sentient being that realizes it's got a finite span of life on the planet. I mean I still suffer from. Angst. I can still wake up in the morning and feel exactly the same as I did when I first read that book. So you know, I, I, I kind of, I have mixed feelings towards the song because it's caused me an awful lot of grief down the years. But it's great fun to play. People respond to it, and you know, and it's a good show closer. It's one of the songs that we like to end the, the three and a half hours with. So maybe we'll do that in Paraguay. Okay. Okay. Wow. Did I? Do you think I talked enough then? Fuck's sake. <coughs> okay. 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 Um, Robert, um, uh, in, so with one word, can you define the following topics? You, do I sound like somebody's going to answer with one word? All right, go on. With one word, okay, uh, I give yeah, you right. three words. Three yeah, I'll words. try, I'll try. Okay. David Bowie. Oh, <laughs> one word. I, could, <laughs> I have so many mixed feelings about David Bowie because, because of him re-emerging after all this time it's kind of stirred up some very strong emotions that, that, that I had uh, and that ha uh, and that but strong emotions is a good strong, strong yeah, emotions yeah. I, I was going to say artist actually because he, he does to me he, he does despite his protestations that the artist isn't that important in art I think he's the living embodiment of, of, um, of the, you know the, the fact that he, his argument at, at its heart is wrong because I think um He is one of the, you know, he's one of the great contemporary artists. Mm -hmm. Jimi Hendrix. Oh. They all start with, oh. Yeah, because <laughs> again, it's like very mixed emotions, because obviously when I was very young, mm -hmm. um, he was my hero. I, no, I mean, I wanted to be Jimi Hendrix. I had no idea who he We was. We can say my hero then. Yeah, I would, well, but the thing is, though, that he really, once I found stuff out, and I was kind of like, then I thought, no, that's not a hero. That's just someone who's a great guitarist and a great songwriter and a great singer. So it's not, you know, I would say great would be the word that I'd use about Jimi Hendrix. Okay, perfect. Um, Rolling Stones? Oh, hang <laughs> <laughs> uh, on. Surprising. Surprising with me because I went to see them in 1975 in London, mm -hmm. and I went to see them again a few months ago, and they were fucking 
great a few months ago. I was never. I was absolutely astonished at how good they were. Mick Jagger sang for two hours and ran around, and like his voice never missed a, a note. He never missed a beat. And Charlie Watts is sensational. I mean, he was carried to the edge of the stage at the end to, to say thank you. And the whole band is really tight, and they played some really great. Some, they have a fantastic back catalogue, second only to Bowie, in my opinion, for that period of like classic pop rock music. So um, I enjoyed myself hugely, and I, and I was really, really surprised because I went. I was invited to go, and I went there expecting to have to be polite about their performance. And actually, I was so enthusiastic; it was almost embarrassing. It was like I was a, a, a youngster again. Queens Bar Rangers. Oh, oh I, I, <laughs> yeah, that's I, I right. <laughs> that's exactly right. Oh, yeah, huh? no, I'm, I've I've given up on Premiership football as it's called <laughs> in England. I hate English football. It's, it's, it's utterly, utterly boring. It's full of people who can't play football and think they're really, really good. I don't yeah. watch it. I, I haven't watched it for about two years now. I have no interest <gasps> in it at all. So you're I like not... the I like the lower divisions of English. They're, they're good fun because the people are just you know they realize they're not that good and they just deal with it um it's like i watch spanish football and german football on television if i want to watch football i think it's much more entertaining um mary paul gorgeous that was you see how <laughs> simple was, it is easy yeah, that that was very easy. Easy. yeah okay um technology uh i've great ambiv ambivalence would be the word because i i feel You know, I, I think probably as with, it, with anyone, it's um, it's not the technology; it's how it's used. I mean, mm -hmm. technology is a, a great thing. I'm not, you know, I'm very a very very long way from being a luddite, and, and we've embraced technology you know, as a band and as an individual. I have, you know, I've kind of I never I, we used to be early adopters. I'm not that anymore because I realise that there's so much goes wrong with new stuff. You know, I've still got a phone that. that Doesn't connect to the internet, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> like my mother. Huh? Well, uh, yeah, but, but I, I I use this my phone to to make phone calls, and that, that's yeah. kind of it. But at the same time, you know, we're coming over. We're we're going to be filming the trip. We've got like three cameras with us and stuff, you know. So that we, I, I kind of have mixed feelings about technology. I think that social media has kind of has, has um, probably pushed me to, to disliking technology at the moment because I find it kind of really fatuous. I find that people are obsessed with, like, what you know, the announcement about what's going to be announced. It's that this kind of desire to know everything before it's even happened drives me a bit mental. So I think I probably have taken a step back from technology over the last sort of 18 months or two years because I'm a bit sick of how... You, I, I hate the word sexy being used about technology. That trust me, fucking mental. <laughs> but technology is not sexy. <laughs> it's so stupid. But um, it can be useful, and I like it when it's useful and it works. Of course. And, uh, it's, when it doesn't work, it pisses me off. Okay. Paraguay. Uh, I'm intrigued uh, as to ha how Paraguay will be. I mean, it's like, you know, that's one of the things that I've tried to do in the last 18 months. I'm setting up shows for the group that... Um, to go places that we've never been before and um, Paraguay is obviously on that list so I'm looking forward to it enormously just, just, uh, we've got a couple of days there I've got a, a, actually managed to fit a day off into our schedule in Paraguay so I shall hopefully see some of the, of the country oh, yeah, please, please um, what, uh, what, uh, if you need a guide yeah, if you need a guide here are it's very <laughs> personal I think, I think there'll probably be quite a few people willing to be our guides aren't there, on, the, on our day off I get this feeling I volunteer that the, for being a guide <laughs> Yeah, the, it's going to be like about 250 people doing like the, uh, yeah. 
okay. the Conga through the middle of Asuncion. Ian Cartes. Um, inspirational because I I, inspirational. I only played on the same stage as him once, which was in nineteen nineteen eighty, I think it might be or eighty one. Uh, 1980, 1980, somewhere around that time. I think it was. They played, we did a thing in London at the Marquee Club called A Month of Sundays, and we picked the four bands that we wanted to play with us. And and Joy Division were one of those bands. And I'd heard Unknown Pleasures, and obviously I'd heard what they were doing on on the radio, on John Peel. And and they were just fantastic. They were just like, they were the best thing I'd seen. um, Not ever, because I'd seen some fantastic, I'd seen Bowie and, and the Rolling Stones and... You know, and other people, Mavishnu Orchestra. Ah, oh, that's fantastic. But they were of the, of that generation of bands, you know, which was my generation of bands. They were so powerful, and um, we that was our best show that that year. I think when we went on after them, we had to really, really try hard to to kind of match what they did. Um, right. I don't know. You know, it's a, it's a shame with Ian Kurt. It's just a shame. It's the same like with Hendrix. It's always a shame. Same Kurt Cobain. You kind of wish that that, that they. Somehow, you know, you think if only things could have turned out different because um, people that good come along far too infrequently. Okay, okay. Um, Annabelle, no, uh, Annabelle, he's going to ask you the question. Okay, Annabelle. Okay. Robert, I was um, like shocking. shocking with the idea of you playing with Joy Division. I mean, Joy Division is such a great band in music history and. And you and sharing the stage with them is such was such a great moment, I, I suppose. Yeah, it's re- it's really nice as well because although the, the Cure and New, o- New Order were very much much of that generation, because obviously New Order coming out of Joy Division, that we come from, we're the same age and everything. But Peter Hook always had a really big problem with us. <laughs> I think because our bassist Simon Gallup is just so much better looking and so much he's just a better bass player. And I think Peter was so jealous he could never get over it, and and he stopped the rest of them from actually like being friendly because we've always you know we bumped into him over the years. And since he's left, we've we've played with, with New Order a few times in the you know, last summer, uh-huh. and it's so nice to be able to just like to to chat with them, you know, to talk with them because like, I I've always loved New Order, and I think they're one of the best bands. That, that they they also have a fantastic back catalogue, and they like us, and it's so nice to actually be able to to say to Bernard, you know, like, I like your band. He's going, yeah, I like yours as well. So it's like, it's it's taken an awfully lo- long time to say hello again to them. You know, <laughs> it's taken almost, like, more than 30 years. To, um, but it's good. They, they were they 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 are all, all, another example of a band that that gets better as it gets older. I think they were fantastic last summer, and, and we're playing again with them this year. I think at a couple of festivals. So I look forward to that. So you shared the same lineup uh, at a festival with New Order. Yeah, they were on. Um, in fact, I got to the first time we played with them. Mm-hmm. They were on the one of the other stages, and they. I mean, went and on. this year you will yeah, play. Yeah, uh, it was last summer. Yeah, we played. Oh, them, I think three three times last summer. Yeah. Okay, so maybe uh, last Saturday we have a historic moment where uh, Damon Alvarez shared a stage with Noel Gallagher. Is there the chance that we will see Robert Smith or The Cure sharing a stage in a song with New Order? They're not there, though, are they? Sorry? I don't, well, unless they parachute themselves in, it's unlikely. Oh, okay. Or, or 
do you do some kind of like Bernard Sumner impression? Is that what you're you're moving towards? Like suggesting that you come on stage with a latex head on or something? Well, I'm not sure. No, <laughs> it's not. But it's probably unlikely. Okay, it's unlikely. Well, um, take but you don't need that. Honestly, you're going to see the best show that you've ever seen in your lives when we come to Asuncion. Oh, I'm you. sure of that. No, I'm not joking though. It really is. It's the best that we will ever have done in the history of our group. And I never, I've never said that before, but I'm so confident. Uh, the rehearsals have been so fantastic that I'm, I'm, I can't wait to play these shows. I've been to at the oh. Cure concert in New York in 2008, I think it was, and it oh, was magnificent. And it's so much better than this. Will be oh. so much better than that. I, I can't wait. So, director Tim Pope is coming with you in this tour. What is, is indeed, the yeah. what is the intention of this? Is uh, well, do you have to plan a, a live about yeah about two months ago? Um, I invited him to uh, we went out for a drink and I started filming him and asking him if he'd like to make a film with us. And that's the, that was in my mind that was the start of the film of the Cure going to South South America. And so. He agreed, and so he's um, he's been filming everything, like rehearsals and back, you know all the stuff that we do, everything that goes into d making this happen. And then he's going to come with us and film all the shows, and film fans, and film backstage, and film the cities, and film us going out. And we're going to try and make a, for the first time actually a, a kind of something that you can sit and watch and see and see actually what we do, and and at the same time. So, uh, the, sh the show will kind of be at the heart of it, so we we're hoping to take like a, a handful of songs from each show. That's our intention. So we just pick like the best versions of the best songs from each each city that we play, and then put it all together. What what he wants to do is actually he wants it to be a cinema film because he's always got like grand delusions. Um, and at the moment, I'm going along with it. I think you know if he if he manages to to get that, it will be great. But um, my ambitions are slightly. Less. I'd like to have a DVD of it, but um, either way, I think it's going to be entertaining because uh, everyone's really excited because it's this. It's almost we've never we haven't had this for so many years that we're going to so many places that we've never been before. So we really don't know what to expect. So I think it's going to be really interesting just to see, you know, what happens. So maybe we'll have the chance of seeing Paraguay in the next The Cure's DVD. You definitely will. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah! <laughs> clapping, clapping's here and, and, and yeah, us on our day off in Asuncion. Yeah. <laughs> so oh um, you always wrote uh, lyrics based on your experience and on your life and on your experiences, and also uh, you got inspiration about uh, from the books you read. Yeah. What is your main source of inspiration nowadays? Um. Well, I think it's actually it's a lot harder to, because I've all through my life I've, I've written stuff. I mean, I find it still very easy to write music, but I've always found it quite difficult to write words that I think are any good. I can write words, but I, but writing words for songs that I can sing and that I think will touch other people, which is kind of the true test of a song. Um, that's the hardest thing I, I I do. I find that the hardest thing I do, and um. I've never worried about not being able to do it because I just think, well, you know, as time goes by, eventually I come up with something new. I haven't written a um, a, a good new song. I've written one, I think, in about the last six months. So the inspiration is kind of... 
the motivation to write just is is there. Uh, the, things happen. I mean, I think on the back of what's happened to me in the last couple of days, I'm very, very confident that I'm going to write a song about it because uh, I've gone through quite a lot of emotional turmoil in the last 48 hours, and I'm sure at some point, probably on the plane flying over to Brazil in a couple of days, I shall have a couple of glasses of wine and start to write words about it because that's what I've always done. I've always externalised everything that nags at me or worries me or even things that, that make me laugh and I've always just written them down. I've done it from a very young age. So sometimes, if they're good, I read them back and I think that's actually quite good and then I try and put it into one of the pieces of music that I've written. Um, and occasionally, like you say, I'll read something or even I, I find I, I watch things now. I kind of see you know documentaries and things. And I've, the best song I've written in the last six months is actually about something that I saw in a documentary on television. So um, I think, you know, inspiration kind of... It's not so much the inspiration, it's actually... Because I can feel tremendously inspired some weekends, mm -hmm. in particular, and write loads and loads of stuff. And then on Monday I read it, I think, that's junk, you know. But um, I still enjoy it. I still enjoy the process of, like, creating something from nothing. It's just that my quality control is quite high, because I think if I've written, you know, a couple of hundred songs already and people like a lot of them... There doesn't seem much point in just keep doing it, because if they're not as good as what I've already done, then, I, then there's not really much point in, in, in putting them out there. So although I still write songs at home, if I, if I don't think they're as good as things that I've already done, then that's where they stay. So um, it's not that I'm not doing something, it's just that I don't think it's quite good enough for other people to listen to. So you collaborated with bands such as Japanese pop stars and Crystal Castle in the last couple of years. Uh, yeah. Based on what, on what you said... Uh, It seems like you enjoy more the idea of making just a single or to collaborate with another artist than the idea of recording a whole new album from The Cure. Well, The Cure, is, in 2007, we went into the studio for almost a year and we recorded about uh, almost 40 songs. Mm -hmm. And 13 came out on the last album, 413 Dream. And I think we released about five or six B-sides. And all the rest of the songs were just kind of like, were just left behind. And... This time last year, I dusted them all off, and I listened to... I'd sung a lot of them, and I was kind of listened through, and I thought, yeah, I started patching them up. And I was thinking we should probably release this, even though Paul Thompson, who was playing guitar with us for that for the 413 Dream album, I knew he wasn't going to be playing with us anymore. I still thought, well, it seems a shame, because these are really good songs, we should release it. But at that point, I also decided that I would like to play some summer festivals, and, we, and I wanted... A guitarist, so we invited Reeves Gabrels, who was one of Bowie's guitarists, to come and play with us. And I thought it would yeah, be really horrible to to invite someone to be in the band and play through the summer on the back of an album that is a different guitarist playing the new songs. And I also thought I don't really want to play new songs at festivals; it's pretty dumb because you walk out on stage in front of you know a hundred thousand people, maybe seventy five thousand of them have never seen you before. You really don't want to start playing new songs. You want to play songs they recognize you want to play close to me and friday i'm in love and yeah, boys don't cry so, uh -huh. so that they respond you know because it's, a, it's an event this isn't your show this is like a festival so yeah. i thought well what we'll do is we'll wait until we're doing our own shows and then we'll introduce new songs and like blah, blah. and it's all just got kind of just drifted along and i've finished that album that second album that we made in 2007 i've re-sung it all i've reworked the words and i think it's absolutely brilliant Um, but I'm still in the position where I think if I release it, it's going to be seen as a new Cure album. And it really isn't, because this lineup of The Cure is about to go in and record a new Cure album. Mm -hmm. Do you see what I mean? It's like it's quite a weird position to be in. So 
I've got a new Cure album, kind of like it's downstairs at the moment. But if I release it, it, it will, you know, I'm, I'm figuring out a way to just put it out there with what I think I'm going to do is put it out there with a, a show that we did in Paris in 2008 that Paul was playing at and just release it as a DVD album. So there's like a live performance and then there's this second album because that way it won't seem like it's a cure. It's the next new Cure album because what we do next with the Cure will be with Reeves and it will be very, very different to 413 Dreams. So but I don't worry about any of this. I just, um, you know, I realise that people on the internet worry quite a lot about it. Mm-hmm. Robert, they, uh, want, they wonder why there's nothing new. But, um, you know, I mean, eventually there'll be so much new stuff coming out that people will grow sick of new stuff and they'll think, oh, why don't they just play Killing an Arrow one more time? Robert, um, because we know that you have um, a lot of interview coming today. Um, yep. Can I ask you, um, what do you want to say to your fans over here in Paraguay? Well, in Paraguay, well, I, I hope that they're as excited about us coming as we are about play, playing for them. It's, um, you know, it, it, it's strange because Paraguay doesn't, I mean, you always get this weird thing. When you're in a group that travels around the world, however hard you try to feel like we're an English band I mean apart from Reeves is now the, you know, he's the first American to be in the, in the cure but essentially we're an English band like our, cult, our culture is, a, is English and our humour is English and, but because we've travelled so much and we've played so many places when we're in the cure we don't really feel English and yet it's still very hard to, to, to think about somewhere new without thinking oh we're about to play somewhere you know new and yet <laughs> Obviously, if you, like you, live there. You know, it isn't new. It's like you wake up there. So it, it's like we're the strangers. We're the ones arriving. And it, and it's a really weird feeling. Like, and I keep having to remind myself that, like, when we go there, like, we are the visitors. So we're the ones that, you know, I feel like we've been invited to Paraguay. And we have to kind of, like, you know, make our stay there worthwhile. And I'm sure we will. I think it will be... We're sure. I, I guarantee it will be the best concert yeah, in Paraguay sure. this year. Yeah, I have a, a, a radio program called Brit Noise, and of course we, we play a, a lot of the Cure songs, and I can assure you, here in Paraguay, there are a, a legion, a legion of the Cure fans, so we, we will feel like home. All right, well in that case, I shall, I shall brush up on the words, so I'm not singing, show me, show me, show me, post me. You can post play, post you can play the, 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 the weird stuff too, huh? Yeah. Uh, we're going to be playing songs from every album and we'll be playing for at least three and a half hours so if anyone goes home unhappy can then I ask you for one song can I ask you for one song Robert I know that you don't play that a lot yeah cut here cut here yeah good grief I think you're the first person that's ever asked for that by I name. love that song I don't think we've ever played that song live I, 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 I do don't it. think so do it in no. so it's a challenge well, if you if you um, tag along on a day off, I'll try and learn on the acoustic. How about that? Okay, that was nice. Okay. Um, one last thing. Can we ask this scene where I call asking for Robert Smith and you pick up the phone and say, I'm sorry, wrong number? Oh. <laughs> <Please> <laughs> how long did it take you to come up with that one? Okay, l- let's do it. Like the very one. Toot, toot, toot. You should pick now. You should pick now. You should pick. Toot. Hello? Hello, um, is there um, Robert Smith over there? I'm sorry, wrong number. Oh, ah, thank you, great. Robert Smith. <laughs> thank you very much.
<laughs> All right, thank you, and I'll see you when we get there. Okay, yes, we will. I Robert will be in there. Yeah. All right, good night. Good night, Robert Smith. Thank you. Thank you a lot. Bye. Oh, my God. Bye. Muy bien, entonces así pasó Robert Smith, el cantante, compositor y manager de la mítica y legendaria banda The Cure aquí en Urbana 106.9. Espero que les haya sido de su agrado. Le agradecemos a toda la producción de García Group, quien nos dio la posibilidad de poder entrevistarlo a Robert Smith. Cerca de más de 30... Esta fue la entrevista más larga que hicimos. La de Noel Gallagher fue aproximadamente unos 25 minutos. Esta fue una de las entrevistas más largas que tuvimos, que fueron aproximadamente 37 minutos, mamá querida. Muchísimas gracias a Robert Smith, muchísimas gracias a la gente de Garcia Group, muchísimas gracias también a la gente de Brit Noise que estuvo acompañándonos, o acompañándonos a Orlando Salerno, Anabel, Saúl, Freddy Zamudio, Rocío Bastos, y yo, Pope Vinci, quien estuvo acá, este, qué gusto, qué gusto, anda, gusto, te sale con una sensación, ¿verdad?, después de esto. Saúl, eh, Pope, Pope, Hay muchos programas con Brit Noise solamente con Saúl, dale. Tenés una sonrisa que no entra en tu cara. No, no, es, te, es que salí te hizo, con una buena Te hizo la escena, Robert Smith, es que de Brown sal, qué, buen, qué buen viernes. Viste, Friday, I'm in love. Eso se podría decir. Muchísimas gracias a todos los que estuvieron ahí esperando con nosotros desde ayer. Así que, bueno, ya nos queda esperar hasta el 9 de abril a esta banda de Cure que va a estar tocando aquí en Asunción del Paraguay, en el Jockey Club. Nosotros continuamos con más música. Tiene mano de Urbana 106.9. Quédate ahí. Adiós.